Uh, if you're a guest here, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I forgot to upload my slides right. It's been a while. <laughs> so you won't have any slides. I apologize for that. But you will have your Bible, which is what you need. So grab that and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know your bulletin says that we're going to look at verses 11 through 21. Uh, we're going to actually uh, shorten that. And we're just going to zero in on verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. And uh, whoever gets there first in the big blue Bible, shout out the page so that we can pass that around. 1228. All right. If you're uh, in one of the big blue Bibles, it's on page 12. 28. Kids, if you're looking for a word of the day to track, you can track the word life. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you that we can gather together and sing your praises and celebrate the finished work of your son on our behalf and experience the work of your Holy Spirit in us even now. We thank you. For your great love, we thank you for your word and that you reveal yourself to us and you teach us and you peel our fingers off of the things that we cling to and look to for satisfaction instead of you. And would you gently lay those hands on your heart now? Would you gently fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? Would you... Help us to cherish the sweetness that our lives are not our own, but belong to the one who laid down his life for us. And glorify yourself now. Um, And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of you are aware that my family had a scary event take place over the summer. Uh, One of my children fell out of a window, second-story window, and um, in the moment, we didn't know that she was going to turn out to be totally okay, Um, and I've learned now that I should start the story with, she's totally okay, Um, so she's totally okay, by the grace of God. But she she fell out of a window, and so we had to rush her to the hospital. And one of the things you don't want to happen when you're rushing your child to the hospital is to get pulled over. We got pulled over. And, um, you know, to be fair, we might have been driving a little brisk. um, But we got pulled over. And um, the police officer, uh, you know, he's just doing his job. He gets out of the car and he's kind of walking up to our car. And we got our windows down. We're waving our arms. We're yelling, help, help. We're trying to get to the hospital. And so he checks things out. He realizes, yeah, they need to get to the hospital. And he says, well, the, the driving is a little erratic. Let me call an ambulance. And um, we said, well, how about this, our car just be the ambulance? Like, uh, do you have some lights maybe or a siren that you could, you know, use and maybe we could follow you and get there safely? And, 
And uh, he said if, if, uh, if we promise to drive safely, and you know, it doesn't matter who was, who was driving, by the way. Okay, <laughs> that part's irrelevant. But he said, if you will drive safely, yes, I will escort you there. And then he did. And we got my daughter to the hospital and um, spent the night there. Uh, Hannah did. I was there for a lot of the time. Um, and, uh, and she's totally okay. God uh, did a miracle. And we praise him for that forever. Um, it's interesting how there are times when y- your life sort of gets kicked into a different gear for a moment. And you act differently than you normally do. And, and I've been processing that. You know, when, when something like that happens, as you know, any parent will tell you, you, re- you replay it in your mind over and over and over. And as I have thought through that day um, and the, the trip to the hospital and all that stuff, and, um, and then I've, as I've been thinking about what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, something sort of clicked and I realized something that for that afternoon and night and then next morning, um, we, Hannah and I were both in a different gear and we were in this gear where we were singularly focused on the needs of our daughter. As you might imagine. I mean, any parent is immediately in a situation like that, singularly focused on the needs of their child. And, you know, we, we didn't care if we were going to get a ticket or not. Right? In fact, in the moment, I'm like, just keep going. We're just going to keep going. It's all right. And Hannah, who is more sensical and... Um, law abiding I was like no no we'll pull over but i didn't care i was like i don't care if we get a ticket i don't care if i get arrested i want to get my daughter where she needs to be um we didn't care what we were wearing i don't even remember what we were wearing we didn't care we didn't care if this was going to cost a lot of money didn't even cross our mind we didn't care um if we were going to have to if one of us would have to sleep on a weird pull-out couch in the hospital room Hannah took that bullet, thank you. Um, we really didn't care. We, we just like weren't thinking about ourselves. We were singularly focused on this sweet little girl. And um, what, what sort of hit me as I was studying this passage um, is just how rare that's the gear that I'm in. Where I'm focused singularly on someone else's needs or on other people's needs. And I just, you know, realizing that most of the time I'm singularly focused, but it's not about other people. It's about me. Maybe you can relate to that. You know, I tend to think about what I want, what I need, the way people are treating me. And it's a whole lot of focus on myself. And I And I realized that very often, even as a Christian, I find myself living for myself. I think we all do, if we're brave enough to admit it. We find ourselves very often living for ourselves. And um, I think part of that is because within us, there is something there. We're fallen and so we're, by nature, we're, we're focused on ourselves. By nature, we are self-centered. Uh, but then the society we live in s- sort of throws gasoline on that. 
um, and kerosene at the same time. Uh, by the way that there's this constant message from society, which basically is saying, your life is yours. Your life is your own. Do with it as you please. Don't let anybody get in the way of that. You belong to you. Your life is your own. Sometimes it sounds like only, only you know what's right for you. Uh, sometimes it, finds, it sounds like this. Now, you need to find and speak your own truth. Sometimes it sounds like this. Every answer you need, you'll find within. Maybe one of the most covert ways it comes is the three word, believe in yourself. Have it your way. No way, that's Burger King. And we're already hungry too. Why? But do you see that subtleness of that? Even have it your way. It feeds what is already in us, this focus on ourselves. We love to be told to focus on ourselves because it gives us license to do what we really want to do because the fall really messed us up that bad. And so we really have kind of two ways to live. We have that gospel that society preaches to us, which is your life is your own and you're going to flourish and you're going to have happiness when you are doing what you want to do. So we've got that option. We'll talk about how that's going. And then there's God's gospel, which we'll talk about as well, which is, in one way, we can sum it up by saying our life is not our own. And so we have this opportunity here to be profoundly counter-cultural, not that that should be a goal, but it is in this case because we don't want to be a people who keeps gobbling up society's message of live for yourself, live for yourself, live for yourself, but rather we want to be liberated by the sweet truth of the true gospel of Jesus Christ and live our lives knowing they are not our own. And what's powerful about what we see in this passage is when we do that, when we live a Christ-centered life, uh, his love, Christ's sacrificial love, liberates us from self-centered living. Okay, That's the key thing I hope we can take away this morning, that Christ's sacrificial love for us is what liberates us from self-centered living. Okay, And I want to talk about that in three ways. We'll talk about the effect of society's message, and then the power of Christ's love, And third, the beauty of a Christ-centered life, okay? The effect of society's message, the power of Christ's love, and the beauty of a Christ-centered life. And keep your Bible open because we're going to look back at those verses. But first I want to talk about the effect of society's message. Like think about what is, when we look around, when we kind of think about our society, modern America now, how are we doing after a long time, a long season of hearing that message of, of your life is your own, do what you want, live as you please, don't tell me what to do. What's interesting, one historian was, I was reading a book, um, and this historian was talking about how there are some unprecedented things taking place in our country right now, okay? And number one, the average lifespan for Americans has dropped three years in a row. Isn't that interesting? The lifespan of Americans has, is dropping, Okay, um, the number of people dying of drug overdoses has been increasing annually. Uh, I think from 2016 to 2017, they increased by like 20,000. The number of people hospitalized for suicidal concerns or actions doubled in the last decade. 
Uh, and the only time that our country has been this politically divided, the only, I should say, uh, he says the only time our country has been more politically divided than it is now was during the Civil War. Isn't that interesting? So we have to ask ourselves then, uh, what, you know, how, how are we doing? How is that constant message of live for yourself, choose your own way, choose your own set of right and wrong? How is that actually working for us? And that historian who gave all that information said, we're literally dying of despair because that's where it leaves us. It leaves us in despair because we're not designed to live as if our lives are our own. And so it's, it's futile. It's a completely futile effort. It's like, you know, um, do you remember the far side? Is that gone now? I used to grab my dad's newspaper and go right for the funny pages where the good stuff is. And, um, and I would look for the far side. And the far side uh, by Gary Larson, he would draw these one scene cartoons and they'd be the funniest stuff. Just simple, subtle stuff. One of my favorites, um, there's this boy who's entering a school. It's called the Midvale School for the Gifted. Okay? Okay, so a few of you have seen it. So, um, boy is going into the school in his right hand. He's got books. In his left hand, he is pushing that door as hard as he possibly can. And on the door, there's a little sign that says, pull. Right? And I think that's what we look like right now as a society. We think we're so smart. And we're standing there pushing as hard as we can when the sign says, pull. So how do we stop that? First, we have to recognize that when everybody is living for themselves, it just creates an absolute mess, right? Okay, in the home. Uh, Kids, little kids. You know how when you fight with your brothers and sisters, you're always thinking, it's because they're just thinking of themselves, right? Yeah, so are you. Uh, Husbands and wives. How many of your squabbles or fights are due to the fact that you're both thinking of yourself and not the other? Sound familiar? Happened once or twice? Uh, At work. How many times are you getting scuffles at work because somebody is just being self-centered? It's so easy for us to be like, yeah, other people are self-centered. Amen! (laughs) It's harder to turn the camera on yourself, though. But it is. That's what happens. We're not, we're not designed to live our lives as if our lives are our own. And when we do, it just makes a mess and a bigger mess. How many, how many um, conflicts around the world, how many wars are ultimately large groups of people living for themselves, fighting those who are trying to live for themselves? I mean, it's just... So, so we have to recognize that the, the, the society's message, society's gospel is not a liberating gospel. It's actually an enslaving gospel. Live for yourself will put you in chains. How do we get free? Let's talk about the power of the love of Christ or the power of Christ's love for us. And see, God preaches a different gospel. God tells us in his word that he is loving and that he is forgiving and that he wants us to be with him. He wants us in his presence. And so he sent his only son to live a perfect life, a life that none of us have pulled off. And then his perfect son dies, the sinner's death, the kind of death we all deserve to die. And he's buried and then he rises again on the third day so that all who believe in him through faith, not through what we do, but through faith, 
can be fully reconciled to God. If we had read the whole passage, you would see that we are reconciled to God. God has reconciled himself to sinners. And that's good news. That's good news. It's not advice. It's good news that we are reconciled to God through faith in Christ. But there's more. But wait. There's more. Look back at the passage. I want you to see what Paul is saying here. Okay. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. He says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, I mean, there's such a powerful recognition that by nature, that's what we do. We live for ourselves. That's natural to us. And Paul is saying here that the gospel is not only that our future is secure. We have eternal life waiting for us. But right now, Christ is liberating us from the power of sin. He's enabling us to live not for ourselves. And what's interesting is not really... Not primarily for others either. But for him. Now when we live for him, we will, as a byproduct, live for others too. But look at that. So that we would no longer live for ourselves. See, the gospel calls us to freedom, the the freedom of a Christ-centered life. What happens when we center our lives again and again on Christ? Well, The love of Christ, Christ's love for us, takes control. It takes control of something within us. But you might not realize what it takes control of. And this is where this verse gets really, really interesting. Uh, The Greek word there that Paul uses for control is the Greek word syneko. And uh, the ESV says control. It's a good translation. It's a hard word to translate because it has this nuance of uh, confining or even restraining. So says the King James Version. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Okay, use that word at UCF. Constraineth. <laughs> That's interesting. Wait a minute. The love of Christ is, constra- is controlling, constraining. What do you mean? See, it's easy to read that and think the love of Christ motivates me. Which it does, but that's not what it's saying here. The love of Christ restrains me. See, you have to understand, here's what Paul was dealing with in 2 Corinthians and really through his ministry. Uh, there were people who were not believers that they were trying to share the gospel with. There were also people who were claiming to be believers, but they were doing ministry in ways that were actually very self-seeking. You see that in a couple different of his letters. Okay, They were doing ministry for their own ends. That happens. Trust me. And, um, and he, and he knew that. And so he was, he was acknowledging that there are people, there were people doing ministry and they, but they were doing it. They were self-seeking. And Paul is not saying here, the love of Christ motivates me. What he's saying is the love of Christ restrains in me what is self-centered. The love of Christ jumps onto that self-centered part of me and holds it down so that 
the other-centered part of me, the new creation part of me that he talks about in verse 17, can be free to love and to bless people, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. That's a powerful love right there. A love that's so powerful, the more we understand it, the more we receive it, it actually works to reduce the size of the self-centeredness within us. He's saying, Christ's sacrificial love restrains my self-centeredness. It's like, do you remember um, Alice in Wonderland? In uh, Alice in Wonderland, there's a, at some point she sees this little bottle that says, drink me, and she drinks it and she's, she's, she goes tiny, right? She shrinks way down. And then she eats some cake. Remember that? I mean, how good is cake? She eats some cake and nothing happens at first and so she gobbles all the rest of it up and then, boom, she's big as a house. Remember that? What Paul is teaching us here, what God is teaching us is that when you and I gobble up society's gospel of live for yourself, Man, the self-centeredness in us just goes through the roof. We get huge. But when we drink in the sweet good news of the gospel, that self-centered part of us can't fight it. it. It just starts to shrink. Man, that is good news. And, you know, it's a direct proportion, right? So, like, the more that we uh, understand and receive the love of Christ, then, then the, the, the smaller and less dominant that self-centered part of us, which will be there until Jesus comes back and gets rid of it completely, by the way. And the, the more we understand his love, and the more we receive it, the smaller that part of us gets. So when you are being more self-centered... Uh, you know that you're not thinking about Christ's love as much. You're not receiving it as much. You're not understanding it as much. And that's, whoop, you're becoming huge. Now, don't miss what I'm saying. Because we could think, okay, no, I'm going to be less self-centered. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out there and pull myself up by my bootstraps and be selfless. Okay? But that's not how this works, okay? It's not solo bootstrapper. Okay, sola gratia, grace alone, right? And in the same way that what God does for us in Christ, in forgiving us of our sins because Christ died for them on the cross and rose from the dead for our justification, in the same way that that's all free, so is the destruction of our self-centeredness. It's not by our efforts, it's by our receiving of his love. He's saying the love of Christ, that amazing love, a love like nothing else, is so powerful that as he thinks about it, oh man, does it grab hold of that self-centeredness in him and ties it up, puts a little bow on it. And, you know, we, a big part of our vision is to reach more and more UCF students. A big part of our vision is to do something uh, big and, and wonderful uh, uh, pertaining to the... Um, biggest social issue in our area, which is homelessness. There's 500 people that are homeless that live within a few miles of our building. Uh, We want to plant churches here in unreached people groups and in the nations. Uh, And just think about this. Imagine an entire congregation of people whose self-centeredness is being choked and held down by the king of kings. 
sign me up. Um, so we have to understand what, it, what, what Paul's saying there. What is he saying the love of Christ controls? Yeah, it controls the, the bad parts of us. What a sweet, sweet thing. So open up those hearts. Widen your hearts, as he says uh, later in that book. Now, third, let's talk about the beauty of a Christ-centered life. The beauty of a Christ-centered life. Um, two things. I want to talk about what it looks like and how it begins, okay? And how it begins again. What it looks like, how it begins, how it begins again. Uh, what it looks like. Now, keep your Bibles are open, right? Okay. We, we want to do that here because we do. Okay. Uh, with your Bibles open, look at uh, verse 11. I want you to notice something. We just see these little glimpses of Paul's life as a Christ-centered life. He's not living for himself. Not because he's so, you know, spiritually strong, but because actually he knows he's weak. And so he lets the love of Christ shrink that self-centeredness in him. Um, Notice, uh, one of the things we see in a a Christ-centered life is a settled confidence regarding identity and standing with God. So here's what Paul says in verse 11. He says, "But but what we are is known to God. And I hope it's known to you also. You know, look at that. He's like, you, you may or may not know who I really am, but you know what? God does. And we're good. We're at peace. That's a settled confidence about who he is and God's view of him. And that leads to deeper and more powerful worship. And we'll talk about that in this series. A settled confidence about who God is and who I am. Number two, and I love this, a Christ-centered life leads to an ability to look at people with love and grace. You want to see it? Look at verse 16. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now let me tell you what's happening here. What he's saying is, just in the same way that he didn't think Christ was anything special before Jesus knocked him off his horse, if you know Paul's story. Um, Before he was... A Christian, uh, he looked at people differently. He looked at people through fleshly eyes, through self-centered eyes, which is basically how our society looks at each other now. And so what we can bring in from other places of what Paul has said, look, he's saying, uh, now we don't, we don't look at people according to the flesh. Just like we don't look at Christ according to the flesh. Now he looks at Christ and he knows that Christ is the Son of God. And redeemer of the world. And so then he looks at people. He thinks, these are his lambs. And he looks at people with love and with grace and with compassion and with patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And you know the list. So it, it, with the love of Christ pushing down that self-centeredness in us, we actually get to look at people and see them more like God sees them. Isn't that amazing? So the ability to look at people with love and grace. And that transforms how we experience community, by the way. We'll talk about that in the sermon series. Third, uh, you see a profound sense of purpose. Look at verses 18 through 20. Notice how he's talking about this ministry of reconciliation. Notice how he's calling himself an ambassador for Christ. I mean, he, this is not a person who doesn't know why he's in the world or why he exists. This is not a person who's wrestling with, what should I do? He is on a mission. And granted, not all of our life's mission will be identical to the Apostle Paul's, okay? He was the Apostle Paul. You are, well, you, and I'm just me, and that's good. 
But we all have the part to play in that ministry of reconciliation. And we to know that, to wake up every day knowing God has a purpose for us and that his purposes don't fail, even when we do. Trust me, I know. Man, that's some purpose right there. That's like, I almost don't need coffee in the morning. Well, ruling still out on that part. How did he get there? How did Paul get there? Okay, love this passage. Look at now back at verse 14. Uh, you should read about Paul's story. You see that a couple times in the book of Acts and Galatians and different things. But Paul's, he's, he's talking, he's making, he made a choice. Look at verse 14. He says, that second part, he says, because we have concluded this. So the love of Christ is controlling what's selfish in him. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and so on. Now that word concluded is a word that just means to come to a conclusion, to make a decision, to choose to believe something, to accept something as true. And that's how it happened. Paul accepted that it was true that Christ died for sinners. And not just sinners, but him. Just like you and I have to realize when when he's talking about all If you're a believer, you're in the all. Jesus died for you. Jesus suffered the wrath of God for you. And when you allow yourself to see that love aimed at you, there's no way you stay the same. Because sacrificial love always changes us. And now we know it actually restrains the worst parts of of us. I was reading about this guy named John Robert Fox. Look him up. John, not right now. Forgot about the whole phone thing. John Robert Fox. Uh, last thing here this morning. John Robert Fox was born in 1915. Uh, he went into the army. He joined the 92nd Inf- Infantry Division, which was a division of black soldiers. Uh, in 1944, his troop was in a small town that I don't know how to pronounce, in Italy. And uh, there, the troop began to be under fire. The Nazis were closing in on them. And so his small troop, part of his division, his small troop then uh, was going to retreat. And Lieutenant Fox was going to stay in the small town to see what was taking place and to understand the situation so he could radio information to the troops that were retreating. So he stays put and the troop moves out and they're getting a little ways away and uh, pretty soon Lieutenant Fox starts radioing in some coordinates for heavy artillery fire. He says, here's the coordinates, aim that thing and let her rip. And the gunner is hearing this and had heard his previous transmission about his coordinates and he says... To Lieutenant Fox, to the radio, Lieutenant Fox, you've made a mistake. You've given us your coordinates. And John Robert Fox said, fire. Fire. There's more of them than there are of us. I don't know how he did it, but that gunner... And Fox's plan worked. Um, 
after this heavy artillery fire, the American troops were able to go back into the small town. And they found John Fox's dead body laying near about a hundred dead Nazis. And you know what was crystal clear for every one of those soldiers in that troop? He did that for me. You think that didn't change them? And when we look at the cross, it's not only critically important that we understand that he has reconciled sinners to God and that it's for free. It's all through faith. It's so important that we look at that cross and we think about our king and we say what the Bible says to us. If we believe, we can, we must say, he did that for me. And whether it's the first time, maybe you're a non-Christian and maybe today. What if today? What if today was the day when you finally accepted what he's been throwing at you your whole life? Maybe you are a Christian who's been kind of slacking, feeling like a failure. Welcome to the club. What if today you, you just widened your heart, as Paul says, and just let that love pour in as you look at the cross? Because the love of Christ controls us. It takes that self-centeredness in us. Gets it under control. Whoa, man. That is good news. So every one of us, he did that for me. Would you, would you say that in your mind? Would you pray that in your heart? Would you say to Jesus today, you did that for me. And then watch him start to control that ugly part of you. And let that beautiful part of you that looks more like him flourish. Man, what a God we serve. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We praise you that you are so glorious and you are so gracious and you are so kind and patient and loving. And you have this plan and we can't mess it up. And the plan involves you using us, which makes it even more hard to understand and fathom. But it's good like you are good. And it all centers on Christ, our King, who laid down his life for us so that we who were living for ourselves or maybe have been living for ourselves for a season would today together live for him who died and was raised. May it be so for your glory, for our joy, and for the advance of the gospel to the nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.